In 2017, most recent numbers I could find that are available, in Huntsville, Alabama alone, there were 22 murders committed in Huntsville. The crime rate in Huntsville is 95.3%. It's higher than 95.3% of the rest of the country. If you go south to Birmingham, the numbers aren't much better, a little worse, actually. Madison, we're, we're doing pretty well as far as the crime rate goes, but just right outside our front door, back door, whatever you want to, however you want to say it, the, the crime rate is high. And that's the case in many cities across the country. I mean, you can look these numbers up, Google crime rates in different big cities, large cities, and you'll see how they compare to one another. And we tend to think about crime that way, murder that way. We think that, that it's something that happens only in big cities. Well, a few years ago in a small town by the name of Tyrone, Missouri, has a population of 50. Uh, their population is 50, and in one evening, seven people were murdered. One-seventh of their population was murdered in one evening. Uh, it's not something that just happens in big cities. Uh, it's something that happens everywhere. We see violence, we see crime, and certainly we see murders take place. And number six on God's top ten list is you shall not murder. It is the commandment. To, to not murder, to respect and value life. And I know what some of you are probably thinking, hey, we can skip this one. I'm not tempted to murder anyone unless I'm on 72 during rush hour. And then that's <laughs> the only exception. But I really, I didn't come here today with, you know, a checklist, people in mind that I wanted, who I wanted to take out. But, but there's more to it. As with the other commandments, there's more to it than just the actual physical act of murder. There's, there is so much behind this commandment that we need to be aware of. It's not just about the act. There is the heart, uh, condition of the heart behind this, the principles behind that. And this morning, we're going to explore what all this involves. Clarence Darrow, Darrow once said, I haven't killed anybody, but I've read a whole lot of obituaries with glee. And... This is a reflection of the fact that, you know, we may not want to kill somebody, but we may struggle with hatred. We may struggle with anger, jealousy, envy, all of those things. This commandment is about the attitude as well as the action. So let's look at the actual commandment. You shall not murder. As with some of the others, we've looked at the negative side and the positive side of this commandment. The negative side is that murder is a result of hate. Uh, it is the idea that life is, or the belief that life is worthless. The act destroys life, and it is the choice to choose death over life. Why the commandment? Because the positive side, the way God looks at life, it is about love. He loves people, we should love people. It is about the fact that life is precious. We should value life. He gives us the ability, God gives us the ability to enjoy life, and we should enjoy life. And it is ultimately the decision to choose life over death. So negative, hate, life is worthless, destroy life, choose death, but positive, love. Life is a precious gift from God. We are to enjoy life, and we are to choose life. 
This series, God's Top Ten List, we've looked at how the Ten Commandments are a blueprint for a morally excellent society. They're never meant to save us. They show us God's standard. They point us to Jesus, our need for a Savior, and they should always be placed right beside the gospel. But they are just as relevant today as they were the day that Moses received them from God. After you're saved, the Ten Commandments show us how God wants us to live. They are to guide us on God's right road, and they are to guard us against the world's wrong road. They give us direction for life. They're a foundation for a, a personal life that's morally excellent, but also a society that is stable and that is morally excellent. They can be divided into two categories, loving God and relating to God. First four, we explored that. But then last week we moved into the second category. The last six talk about loving others and relating to others. And certainly murder has an effect on our ability to love others. It deals with how we treat other people. Murder certainly has that, is involved in that, or can destroy that. We become so desensitized. In our culture, for years and years, we've slowly become more and more desensitized to violence, haven't we? We're just exposed to it more. Uh, A recent study not too long ago uh, showed that, that children by the age of 18 will be exposed, will witness over 20,000 murders on television. Over 200,000 acts of violence on television by the age of 18. That's, you know, we've just, we've, we've made it a part of our lives. It's become normal. And, and you say, well, yeah, that's television, that's imaginary, but, but it still it desensitizes us to the reality that is murder, violence. Every year or every day, there's an average of 46 murders committed every day in our country. Uh, and the, the, the rate grows usually every year as it fluctuates some, but, but it's, it's just this culture of violence. We see violence in schools. We see violence in homes, uh, music, television, movie themes, uh, all of these things, headlines. We see violence everywhere. It's just a common part of our culture. Um, one of the most popular television shows in recent years is a show called The Walking Dead. I mean, it's just ingrained into uh, the very fabric of our culture. Al Mohler, president of Southern Seminary, has described our culture, the culture of our day, as a culture of death. Um, Yet, when we look at our country, when we look at the fact that our country was founded on the principle that everyone has a right to live, liberty, life, the pursuit of happiness, Jesus Christ came to this earth to die so that we could live to give us an abundant life on earth, but an eternal life after this life is over with. We desperately need a fresh perspective on this command. We desperately need a fresh perspective on the importance and the value of life, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. In order to accomplish that, we're going to explore some of the dimensions of this commandment. So let's first look at number one, the prohibition itself. You shall not murder. The actual prohibition, you shall not murder. It's important here to distinguish, to make a distinction between murder and killing. Those are different, all right? When the King James was written 400 years ago, they used the phrase, you shall not kill, or thou shalt not kill. Kill and murder 400 years ago were used interchangeably. 
But in the Old Testament and today, that's not the case. They mean two different things. What do I mean by that? Well, all murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. All right, let's distinguish here. Let's look first at murder. Let's look at a definition for murder itself. Murder is to unlawfully or unjustly take a life. When you look at this commandment, the word that's used is a word in the Old Testament in Hebrew that's used specifically to describe premeditated murder. All right, taking someone's life unlawfully, unjustly, and it's premeditated. It's used 47 times in the Old Testament, and each time it's used to describe a premeditated murder, the taking of someone's life out of anger, jealousy, envy, all of those things. But it's premeditated, it is unlawful, it is unjust. So murder means the willful, premeditated killing of another individual, that's, that's important, out of anger, hatred, desire, or greed. Jealousy. What about the word kill? Well, kill, it can include murder, but that's not always the case, all right? It can mean to justly, lawfully, or accidentally take a life. Killing can include, it is taking any life, whether human being or otherwise, or animal, while murder is taking the life of an individual, a human being, Killing can be taking a human life deliberately or by accident, an accidental death. Killing can mean to take a life legally or illegally, morally or immorally, and there is a difference. There are certain things, several things, that this commandment does not prohibit. While they're not good, there are things that this commandment is not talking about, one of which is the killing of animals. Now listen, I'm not for cruelty to animals, Proverbs 12.10 covers that, but in our culture, the concept, the, the theory of evolution has gotten so ingrained into our culture, what happens is, is that we have to determine if, if, we are, if we are just here by chance, if we evolved, then we have to, to if we got here other than, in any way other than the creation of God, then we have to determine our, our origin. And, and that has led to the, the belief that we evolved from animals. And here is the result of that. Two extremes. Either you cannot kill animals at all because they're value, or you can kill human beings and animals because we're equal. And that is the result. You think I'm kidding. A few years ago, 2016, in Cincinnati, a little 10-year-old boy fell into the gorilla pit. Y'all remember that story, some of you? The gorilla dragged him around like a rag doll for 10 minutes until finally the emergency, dangerous animal emergency workers in the zoo shot and killed the gorilla. And people were outraged. Outraged. One lady in the comments as a result of this could not believe that the mother of that child thought her child's life was more valuable than that gorilla's life. Couldn't believe it. And listen, we've gotten all of the lines blurred here. And I love animals just as much as the next guy, but in God's Word, there is a clear distinction between the value of a human life and the value of a life of, of an animal. There's a clear difference. Genesis 9, 3, every living creature will be food for you, God told Adam. Uh, God told man, as I gave the green plants, I've given you everything. So, this isn't talking about the taking of the life of an animal. That would be killing, but not murder. Accidental death is not prohibited here. 
It's a sad thing when that happens, but it does happen. In Deuteronomy, we see the example of, of people working in a field. The axe head flies off the axe handle, hits another man in the head, takes his life, and then we see cities of refuge set up for those who basically commit manslaughter, accidental death. And again, that's never a good thing. It's a horrible thing. It's a sad thing, incredibly sad. But this commandment is not talking about accidental death. It is horrible, but not prohibited by this commandment. Self-defense is also not prohibited here. Police protection, uh, protecting your family's life, the lives of others, self-defense in, 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 in any way where it is legitimately self-defense. That's not what this is talking about. Personal or family self-defense. Capital punishment is not covered here. Leviticus 24, 7, if a man kills anyone, he must be put to death. Now listen, regardless of what your views on capital punishment are, that's not what this commandment's talking about. All right, Capital punishment, as designed, as communicated in the law, is the one way where life is valued. It, it communicates the value of the life taken and the value of life in and of itself. And it's the only consequence to murder that actually approaches the value of human life. Now, a murderer can be saved. Somebody can be saved on death row. I believe that. The thief on the cross, I believe, was saved. As he before he died but there are still consequences and God's Word communicates to us about that this is not talking about capital punishment war is not murder is not the same thing Ecclesiastes 3 8 assures us there's a time for war there's a time for every purpose now we're talking about a just war not an unjust war an unjust war would be terrorism uh, Isis Hitler I mean, that, those who declare war unjustly, that, that, that would be included in this. But any time, for example, you see in God's word where he calls his people to war, that's a just war. There are things in life worth, fight, worth fighting for. The lives of others, freedom, uh, liberty. Uh, these things are worth fighting for, worth dying for. Defending innocent people, promoting justice, the spread of evil. Uh, war and capital punishment are not being addressed by the sixth commandment. There are several instances in the Bible where God calls his people to war or where he commands or allows capital punishment. And in each instance, it's for the better of the community. It is to show and communicate the value of life, to, to maintain, to create and maintain order in society, a safe society. And these instances do not use the Hebrew word that's used in this commandment. You shall not murder. It's not talking about that. We, we, while these things that I've just mentioned are not included, we should still take these issues very seriously, right? Even in instances where it's a just war or capital punishment or any of those things, we should never enter into those things lightly. Even when it is allowed and even commanded, it is a serious thing. And, and whenever a human life is taken, it's never a good thing. But we need to understand the difference between killing and murder. So what does this commandment prohibit? Well, the obvious thing is homicide. What we would think of when we think of murder. Remember the definition. Unlawfully, willfully, premeditated killing of an individual out of jealousy, anger, uh, hatred, envy. That's murder. That's the definition of the word we're using here. The first crime ever committed was what? Murder. murder. Brother against brother. 
Cain and Abel. And what was the reason for it? It was anger and jealousy. It was the reason that murder was committed. And it continues every day. It continues, has continued ever since. According to the FBI, again, 2017, the estimated number of murders in the U.S. was 17,284. Approximately 47 people are murdered each day in our country. Premeditated murder is the obvious prohibition of this commandment. But that's not all. Suicide is also prohibited by this commandment. The suicide, shockingly, the suicide rate in our country is the highest it's been in 30 years. Approximately 129 people commit suicide every day. It is a shocking and sad statistic. Now, why would somebody do this? Well, uh, extreme depression, chemical dependency, any number of factors, rash decisions. But it is a growing issue, epidemic in our society, mental illness. But the reason this is wrong is because of what we see in Psalm 31, 15. David says, the course of my life is in your power. Deliver me from power, the power of my enemies and from my persecutors. My life, the course of my life is directed by God, not me. In Job 14, 15, someone who suffered more than most, if not all of us, we read, man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set the limits. He cannot exceed. God is the giver and concluder of life. Only he gets to determine the course of my life and the number of my days according to his, his word, according to what he says. And anything outside of that is not God's plan. And listen, tenderly here, suicide is a sin. It is. And there are two questions that I commonly get as it relates to suicide. Number one is, can a truly born-again believer commit suicide? The answer is yes. Yes, a believer can do that. The second question is, does suicide automatic, is it an automatic ticket to hell? And the answer is no. The only thing that determines where I spend eternity after I die, it's not about how I die, it's about what I do with Jesus who died for me. Okay? It's not how you die. But listen, suicide is never God's plan. And if somebody asks me that question, my first question to them is going to be, are you talking, are you asking me for you or somebody else? I'm going to take it seriously. If anybody ever asks you about this, suicide, always take it seriously. Because just, I do believe what I just said about those questions, but that does not mean it's a green light to do it. If you are here today and you are struggling with this, if you are contemplating this, let me tell you, please listen. Your life is precious. God values you, and it is not his plan. Listen, I know life is tough, and I know it can be painful, and I know mental illness, depression, those are powerful things. Drug addiction, all of these things that can, can, can force us into those dark places. And if you've never struggled with depression, you don't have a clue, okay? You don't understand the power and the hold that that can have on you. But it is still never the answer. Things can be bad right now, but God values you, and life will get better. Things will change. I'm not diminishing your situation, but please understand that that is never God's plan. Suicide, not only it, it, it ends your life, but it damages the lives of so many others. And it is not God's plan for you. It hurts the people that you care about. It hurts the people that love you, your family members. But it is a sin like any other. 
It is. Um, so no, it won't send you to hell, but it should never be taken lightly. Uh, things can get difficult, but God is in control and he will take care of you. Um, I would also add to this the discussion, I'm not going to go too far down this road, but euthanasia, assisted suicide, that's included in this. All right. Job 12, 10, the life of every living thing is in his hand, not mine, as well as the breath of all mankind. Listen, I know terminal illness issues, end-of-life issues can be difficult and can be painful, and, and there is suffering. And again, I'm not diminishing any of that, but if we're going to believe God's word, the only person who has the right to determine when my life ends and whether or not my life is of value is, is the creator of my life. God himself. And so if we are going to agree with God's word, we have to agree that that is prohibited. Abortion is another one of those hot button issues in our culture that is prohibited by this commandment. Listen, I'm getting into some sensitive areas and I'm going to, and, and, and it is difficult to discuss these things, but we as God's people need to know what he says about this. And we need to understand what God's word communicates to us. In a post office in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there were two signs. One of the signs said, it is unlawful to kill eagles, okay? The other sign says, it is unlawful to kill the scissor tail, which I'm pretty sure is the state bird of Oklahoma. Y'all can check me on that later, all right? Here's the thing, There's a, it was a $1,000 reward for any information leading to someone who had taken the life of an eagle, $500 for the same information leading to someone who had taken the life of a scissor tail, now, here's the thing, in, at least in terms of eagles, the protection, government, federal protection doesn't just extend to the bird itself, it extends to the nest of the bird, the eggs of the bird, it's illegal to destroy eggs, even a dead carcass of a bird, you can be fined for destroying the carcass of an eagle. Yet every day, 2,400 unborn babies' lives are taken with no repercussions. There's, there's something wrong with that. There's something off with that. Cal Thomas, veteran conservative columnist, says this, we are sacrificing our children, nearly 60 million now, on the modern day equivalent of the altar of Melech. Y'all remember I mentioned him a few weeks ago, the God of violence in the Old Testament, which God called detestable on more than one occasion. And listen, the reality is, whatever your political argument is, the reality is statistics show that most abortions occur because of, as a result of a choice that's motivated by convenience. Choice has become the malek of American culture. It has become the malek, the god of violence. And the question that, that I have to ask is, why are we so anti-human life? Why are we so against human life? I believe that there is no more helpless life than that of an unborn child. No more helpless, innocent life than the life of an unborn child. And the only way that we can believe that that is not an actual human life is to deny science and to deny God's word. Psalm 139, 13 through 16, David says this, You created every part of me. You put me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because... You are feared. You are to be feared. All you do is strange and wonderful. I know it with all of my heart. When my bones were being formed, carefully you put me together in my mother's womb. 
When I was growing there in secret, you knew that I was there. You saw me before I was born. The days allotted to me had all been recorded in your book, had already been recorded before any of them ever began. 26 times in the Bible, the Bible talks about woman being with child, not with fetus, because it's a person. It's not a thing. In Luke chapter 1, Mary visits Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. Mary's pregnant with Jesus. When Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, John leaps inside of Elizabeth. Why? Because it was a human being, not a thing. It is a person, and God's Word clearly communicates this. In Coney Island, in the early 1900s, there's a man by the name of Dr. Martin Cooney. This is Dr. Martin Cooney. And he ran a carnival. Some of you may have seen this story circulating recently. Uh, he, he ran a carnival in Coney Island. A lot of sideshows, uh, you know, like the Wolfman, I think Lionel the Lion-Faced Man. I mean, all these little sideshows that you see at carnivals, but he had another exhibit there. In the early 1900s up until about 1940, if you had a premature child, that child was basically considered inferior genetically and left to fend for itself. Of course, most of the time, those children wouldn't make it. Well, this man decided that he was going to do something about that. He was a carnival operator, but he was also a medical doctor, a very good doctor, as a matter of fact. And so he decided that he was going to find a way to take care of these premature babies, and he had to have a way to pay for it because it was very expensive. So here's what he did. He created another sideshow at his carnival, along with the lion-faced man and the, I don't know, the three-legged woman or whatever, I don't know, all these other exhibits. He created another exhibit that was essentially just, not essentially, it was rows of incubators. Incubators had never been used before. And he created these and created a sideshow. This was very expensive. It cost about $15 a day in the early 1900s per incubator. That's about $450 in today's money. Rose, you see how many you can see in just that picture. Somebody had to pay for that. So what he would do is he would charge 25 cents a person and people could come look at the premature babies. That's how he paid for it. For years, from 1903 to the early 1940s, he tried and he tried and he tried to convince hospitals, the city of New York, he offered to give them incubators if they would start premature care for premature babies. They, they, they turned him down over and over again. He never charged the parents. Race, ethnicity, poverty, social status never factored into it. Names were kept anonymous, and he provided this care for parents who basically had no hope otherwise. He had, over the period of 1903 to the early 1940s, over 6,500 babies' lives were saved because of this man, Dr. Dr. Coney. 6,500. He had a success rate of 85%. It's amazing. Today, one in ten babies are born premature. If you had a premature baby that was born and survived, you have him to thank for it. It was one man who valued life so much that, that, that lives that everybody else said were insignificant and fear. He said, no, those are important. I'm going to spend my life taking care of these children. Finally, I believe 1943, um, in New York... Uh, Cornell Hospital in New York started a department for premature babies, care for premature babies. And so he said, my life's work, I'm done, I'm finished, now somebody else will carry it on. But it was because of him, one guy that valued life so much that he was willing to invest his time, his fortune, his money into saving lives that other people considered 
inferior, unimportant, the value of human life. Today, unfortunately, respect for human life declines. And here is the warning for us. Abortion has been a part of our culture for so long that the church, we must be careful not to be casual or calloused about the life of an unborn child. Now, let's be honest, we've kind of gotten used to it, haven't we? It's just a part of our culture. We've accepted it as a part of our culture. But we cannot become callous about it. Again, sensitive here, graphic, but a few years ago, you remember the videos uncovered of, of Planned Parenthood, where over sips of wine and Caesar salad, two members of Planned Parenthood discussed how they could crush the top of a baby and the bottom of a baby, but yet salvage the organs of that baby. In response to that, Michael Weir said this. He said, it should bother us as a society that we have use for human organs, but not for the baby that provides those organs. Trevin Wax said, the my body, my choice argument doesn't work when you're selling someone else's heart, liver, and lungs. In the fourth uncovered Planned Parenthood video, there was a dismembered child baby on a table, and one of the employees said, well, another boy. In their own words, not a thing. The only difference between that boy and this boy is the years. That's it. It's a person created in the image of God, valued by God. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, said this, The most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its own infant, one of its infant members, is to kill it. I'm sure there were some that would probably have that opinion about my youngest son. I beg to differ. The issue is about more than choice, more than politics. How dare anybody use an innocent life for political gain? This issue is about more than choice. It's about more than convenience. It's about more than politics. This issue is about life. It is about love. And folks, it's about God's word and what he says. He says value life. So we should value life, every life. You know, God is the author and sustainer of life. And listen, before I move on, let me say, be very clear here. God is about life. He is the author of life. He is the giver of life, but he is also about forgiveness. And if you're here today and you fall into this group, there's forgiveness and there's love and there's mercy. If you have had an abortion, there's forgiveness and there's love and there's mercy. We are, there's mercy. We are for life. We are for unborn lives. We are for life after birth. We promote life, but we are also a place that promotes love and forgiveness and restoration. God is in the business of restoring. But we have to understand the importance of valuing life the same way that God does. Here's the point, and I'll finish with this on this section. There was a story a few years ago. A, a fire started in a cigar shop, of all places, a cigar shop. The fire spread next door to an animal hospital. The only animals that were saved were a 17-year-old cat and a small hamster. In an interview after the fire, one of the animal hospital employees said this, said, I'm so thankful that we saved the hamster because even a little life matters. I agree with that, okay? I'm all for hamsters, right? I mean... Thank the Lord the hamster was saved. But can we just for a minute agree, moving from hamsters to unborn children, even a little life matters? All life matters. And all life is important to God. Which brings us to the principle behind this commandment. Life is precious. Life is precious. 
And God is the sovereign giver of life. Job 1, 21 and 22, Job says this. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Praise the name of Yahweh. Throughout all of this, Job did not sin or or blame God for anything. God is the sovereign giver of life. He gives life, and he determines when life ends. Life should be viewed as a precious gift from God. I think about the quote from the movie Hook, uh, where, where Robin Williams, Peter Pan, played by Robin Williams, hit the quote where he says, to live would be a great adventure. And that's true. I mean, listen, life can be tough, and it is sometimes, and it's painful, but living is an adventure. Um, and all that adventures entail, challenges, ups, downs, and everything in between, but it is a privilege to be able to live. Life is a gift from God. It is precious. Not always easy, but it's good, and we should be thankful for it. We should respect life. The Ten Commandments are God's blueprint for a morally excellent society. That's, that's what we've said throughout this series, and I believe that. But a morally excellent society cannot survive without life. I mean, life has to be valued. For all of the other difficult life and death issues, capital punishment, Um, killing, self-defense, wars, all of these things, I rely on the simple biblical principle that says this, life is sacred and must be protected because we are all created in the image of God. That's the simple biblical principle that we would all do well to live by, which brings us to the personal implication, number three. The personal implication, how does this apply? Well, I have to value life. If I'm going to be like God... And I'm going to take on his character. He values life, so I have to value life. Each person is a unique creation of God. And here's what happens in the sixth commandment. You know, the first four about my relationship to God. Loving God, relating to God. The last six about loving others, relating to God. Well, in the sixth commandment, those two things intersect. The vertical and the horizontal intersect. Because murder affects my relationship with God. He values life. If I'm going to have a relationship with God, I need to love what he loves. And he loves life. He loves people. But certainly, vertically or horizontally, it affects other people, right? It affects the person whose life was taken, their friends, their family, the people that love them. It affects society as a whole. I read to you statistics on on murder and violence, and that bothers and troubles all of us as it should. It affects society, but it also affects the person who committed the murder and his family, his or her extended family, close family, extended family. So the the horizontal, the vertical, it comes into into contact, it intersects, It, it affects both. John Calvin expressed it this way. Our neighbor bears the image of God. To use him, abuse him, or misuse him is to do violence to the person of God who images himself in every human being. We are created in the image of God, and to damage any person is to damage the image of God, is to insult the image of God, someone who is created by him. This commandment also talks about how much I value my own life. There is a direct relationship between respect for life, respect for the life of others, and self-respect. There's a direct correlation between how much I value your life and how much I value my own. And this commandment talks about the importance not only of of respecting the life of others, but respecting my own life 
and understanding that I am created in the image of God and I have value because God says I'm valuable. It's also we need to understand possible to violate this command without actually committing the act of murder. Uh, There is one more way we can break this command and that is through hate. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes this commandment and he gives it an even deeper, broader meaning. In Matthew 5, verse 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. There's a a comparison, a correlation there. Whoever says to his brother, Fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, You moron, will be subject to hellfire. Jesus unpacks the true meaning of the sixth commandment. The attitude of murder comes before the act of murder. We may not murder with our hands, but to hate is to murder with our hearts. This commandment is just as much about the attitude as it is the action itself. Because hatred, anger, unchecked, will boil, and it will fester, and it will grow. It's not just going to go away on its own, okay? It'll grow and it'll grow and it'll grow. And worst case, it can become the actual act of murder. But the act of murder begins with the emotion, the attitude of hatred, anger, jealousy, envy, those types of things. This is just as much about the attitude as it is the action. At the heart of this message is the truth that God expects us to value life. If we are followers of Christ... If we are God's children, we need to hate what God hates, sin, and we need to love what God loves. We need to love people. At the heart of this is the command that we are to respect life and we are to value life. In addition, God intends for his children to enjoy life. God wants us to have an abundant life, not that it's always fun and you don't have problems. We know that's not true, but overall life, God gives it as a gift to us. And as his children, he gives us the ability to experience an abundant life, a life of joy. As followers of Christ, the Christian life is about three things, the lordship of Christ, the love of God, and the life that God gives us. The lordship of Christ, I am his, I belong to him. The love of God, I can experience it personally in my life and the life that he gives us. The sixth commandment teaches us that God's commandment is not hate and murder, but love and life. That's what this is about. It is life. It is love. So how can we promote this idea that life is sacred? How can we take a stand for life and become life givers instead of life takers? Well, first, we need to watch what we say. What we say. James chapter 3. The tongue has the power to give life and take life, to destroy life. This, we need, because it's a condition of the heart. We need to watch what we say. But then also, second, we need to watch our attitude. Murderous, now you may be, not be here today tempted to actually take a life, but, but murderous thoughts, a- hatred, anger, jealousy, envy are a problem for some of you here today. Okay? Some of you are struggling with that, and we all struggle with something. I, you know, I'm not berating you. We all have something. But, but some of you are hearing this today, and, and that's what you're struggling with. Hatred, anger, bitterness towards somebody that did something to you. And it was bad, and, and, and it was horrible, and not trying to diminish that. But you need to deal with these emotions. You have to find forgiveness, and only God can give forgiveness. Only He can give you the ability to do that. The Bible never says, you know, that we should be angry at things like sin and suffering and justice. The Bible never says that anger is sinful. It's what we do with that anger that leads to sin. It's how we handle it. 
is how we deal with it um, that leads to sin. In his book, Written in Stone, Philip Graham Ryken provides some practical ways that we can move beyond anger by guarding and protecting, giving life. Ryken writes, he says, We can teach our children how to resolve conflict without resorting to violence. We can pray for peace in troubled countries. We can help save children through adoption and foster care. We can care for the sick and the dying. We can send relief to those who are oppressed. We can work to make laws that bring justice and promote life. I mean, all of those aren't the, the, the ultimate answer. It's an issue of the heart. Only God can, can bring ultimate justice and peace uh, salvate, through salvation. But these are the things that we should be about. Life and the value of life and rescuing the helpless, orphans and widows, as Scripture tells us. And here again, evolution has influenced us here. With, with evolution, you and I have basically said that we're accidents. Either our atoms just happen to form human beings or we evolved from animals. Uh, you've got to answer that question. If you move away from God, you have to answer that question of how we came into existence and whether or not my life has meaning and value and purpose. And so there are gaps if you subscribe to the theory of evolution, there are gaps that have to be filled that are in, in Christianity are filled by God, that, that he fills. And so there are unanswered questions. Why am I here? You know, there's actually a section of those who subscribe to, to this belief, and it's a small section, but still some who believe that we all started as alien seeds planted in the earth and grew from that. That's how we came into existence. And listen, I mentioned that, and of course that's silly, and most evolutionists would say that's silly, but my point is that if you take God out of the picture, you've got to fill him with something. How did we get to be here? How did we come into existence? You may have to make up an answer to the question of why I'm here, but God in Genesis 9-6 shows us that life matters. We are told in Genesis how we come into being, and we are told that you're not just an accident. Your life has meaning and purpose. Because you are made in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 2, God tells us that he created man and woman in his image. We are created by Almighty God in his image. And listen, when God came to earth and Jesus died on the cross, God says, you have value because I created you and I created you in my image. And Jesus says, your life now has value. I have redeemed you. I've bought you with my blood. Your life now has value because I make you valuable. I give you value. He takes up residence in our lives, and we have value because he says we are valuable. I brought a can with me this morning. You can see this can's in pretty rough shape. It's dented. It's scuffed up. You know, it wasn't like this. I bought it Friday, and I had a little fun with it, banging it up, scuffing it up. Um, it wasn't like this when I got it. When I first got it, you know, it was shiny. I could look at this can and actually see my reflection. Now I'm not seeing much of anything. Um, not that that was ever a good thing, but, you know, I, now especially, I mean, there's no way. I see no reflection at all. I just see dents and scuffs and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, when I got this can, um, it had a label on it. It doesn't have a label anymore. Um, you know, we look at people and we tend to, and this commandment is about this principle, right? We, we look at people and we tend to, to base their value on what we see, don't we? I mean, there, there's some of you here today that feel like this can. You've been through the ringer for whatever reason. There are other people that we determine in our culture, in our society, aren't as valuable as others because of what they look like or where they come from or the color of their skin or, or whatever. And we're all guilty of devaluing people. Um, 
you know, if, we, if, I, if I were to ask, what do you think, what do you think's in this can? Peaches. All right. What? Yeah. What else? Huh? Tomato sauce. All sorts of opinions, right? Turkey. Did somebody say turkey? <laughs> what? Okay. Yeah. 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 It's a good guess. Hey, but listen, look what you've all done. You've all formed an opinion just based on what you think, right? And some of you said some things that weren't as appealing as others because of the way the can looks. Now, if you were to go in the grocery store, see this on the shelf, and the, the, the grocery store clerk was to walk up to you and say, hey, listen, I'll sell you that can for $5. How many of you would buy it? $2. Nobody? How about 50 cents? There's a few of you. All right. Gracie, that's cheating. You know what's in here. That's cheating. Anybody else? 50 cents. All right. How about 10 cents? Ten, really? Five cents. Somebody, five cents. Who would buy it? Okay, but look what we've just did. We've just devalued this can because of the way it looks. You won't pay full price. Doesn't matter what's in it, right? How many of you are dying to know what's in it? All right, well, let's find out what's in it, all right? But the point being, we value based on appearance, where God values based on what's inside. Now, let's see if I can make a huge mess. Somebody over here guessed pineapples, and I'm thinking my son had something to do with it, because that is exactly what is in here. How many of you like pineapples? I love pineapples. Y'all excuse me for a minute. Mmm. Good, too. The condition of the can. How many of his mouth watering right there? Getting that little twins right here? Mmm, that's good. I'll finish that later. That's good, though. Listen, I beat this thing, hit it with a hammer, threw it in the driveway. Does not affect what's on the inside. And let me tell you something. We look at life, we look at people, and we judge. We value or devalue based on what we see. God looks at the human being, and he sees in every human being that sweet, incredible potential to reflect his glory, his image, and to carry his name with them wherever they go. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter whether you're born or unborn, God says life is valuable because of what's on the inside. He says he comes to us, he has given his life, he died on the cross to save us from our sins. He comes in when we accept his forgiveness. He comes into our life and he takes up residence. And he says, you are valuable not because of anything you've done. You are valuable because of what's on the inside. My presence, my power, my spirit that lives within you. So when we're talking about valuing human life. We value life because God does. God says, do not murder. Life has value because I make it valuable. Jesus, and here's the thing that we need to remember, all right? Jesus was not murdered on the cross. In his love for us, he willingly laid down his life so that we could have rescue and real life. He gave his life so that we could have life. So in a culture of death, suffering, violence, filled with hatred, filled with anger, filled with all of these things that devalue life, we as followers of Christ are called by this commandment other parts of scripture, we are called to take a stand for life. 
We're called to say, I value life because I value what God values, and God values life. And Jesus says, if there's any question about whether or not life is valuable, I gave my life willfully. I went to the cross, not taken from me. I laid it down. I gave my life so that you could live not only an abundant life here on earth, but so that you could live eternally. I created you. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. I had a plan and a purpose for you before you were ever formed. If there's any question about the value of life, that question has been answered once and for all. Life is valuable because God values it. And we as God's people, if we are going to be like God, then we too must love what God loves and value what he values, human life. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love and thank you for the clear message of the importance of life. And the implication is first that we should value life, but also that each one of us here today have value because you say we are valuable. And if we are your children, we are valuable because of what's on the inside, not because of anything that we've done in our past or any scars that we carry. We're not devalued by that. If we belong to you, we have eternal value. We were created in your image and we were redeemed by your blood, Jesus. You gave your life willfully so that we could be saved. Lord, I pray that each person in this room today would understand that and appreciate that. If there's somebody here today who doesn't know their value because they've never accepted you as Lord and Savior, I pray that during this time of commitment they would come and allow me to share with them how to make that most important decision, the decision to follow you with their lives. And Lord, for those of us who know you, I pray that we would know that we are valuable and we have meaning and purpose that you've given us, but also that we would understand the importance of this issue and that we would stand for life and that we would promote life and that we would protect the innocent and look out for those who can't help themselves. But Lord, that we would, we would love what you love and that's people. We would hate what you hate, sin, but we would love the people that you desire to bring into relationship with you and that we would be a part of that. Um, Being your instruments, your tools to carry your loving message to those in need. Lord, whatever it is that you, however you want us to respond to this message today, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and that we would respond. If there are those you're leading to become a part of this church family, I pray that they would come during this time of commitment and make that decision public. If there are those that are saved that you're leading to be baptized, I pray that they would come and make that decision public. Whatever it is, Father, may we be obedient, not only in this moment, but always, also always, but right now in this moment, may we hear your voice and respond appropriately. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.